This year, our observance of Easter is more like that of the first disciples than our typical American version of fanfare and celebration. Instead of gathering in a sanctuary filled with excitement and joy, we, like those first disciples, are behind closed doors as a precaution against an external threat. The first disciples were on lockdown for fear of Jerusalem's Jewish leaders, and we are on lockdown as a safety measure against a deadly virus. Like them, we are not sure when it will be safe again or what we are to make of the future. Yet into this time of anxiety and uncertainty, Jesus appears. If you've been following along in John's Gospel, the scene has shifted from one enclosed space to another, from an enclosed tomb to a locked room. Jesus came and stood in their midst and said, Peace to you. Among the last things Jesus said to his disciples was that he was going to the Father. His coming to them, not to mention his resurrection from the dead, is quite unexpected. As readers of this gospel, we recall Jesus' earlier statements made to his disciples. I am going away. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. We are familiar with peace used as a greeting, as an expression of hope. But Jesus means something entirely different by his use of this term. The peace he speaks to his followers is marked by an inner serenity that calms our troubled hearts and dispels all fear and worry. It is an assurance of being blessed through a right relationship with God that also then defines all other relationships. What is real is not defined by our outward circumstances, but with whom we know and share life so much so that we're never content to have peace for ourselves if it is not also the experience of those we know and love. We who have received Christ's peace wants to, want to extend the same to all who are in need of it. It must have been unnerving for the disciples to have Jesus suddenly appear. At first, they must have thought he was some kind of spirit. And even though they didn't ask for it, Jesus showed him his hands inside as a means of verification in order to convince them that it was he, the same Jesus they had known. Despite the fact that his physical appearance was somehow different or transformed. You've likely heard or read the news of Dr. Li Wenliang, an ophthalmologist from Wuhan, China who was the first person to sound the alarm about the presence of COVID-19. For broadcasting his concerns via social media, he was detained by government officials and forced to sign a document saying he had spread false statements and rumors. When he returned to work at his hospital, he caught the virus himself and died on February 6th. At that time, there were 34,000 known cases of the virus and 720 reported deaths. As of Saturday, there were over 1.7 million cases 
and over 105,000 deaths. The day after Dr. Lee died, a CBS News Asia correspondent wrote this, Dr. Lee is now being vindicated by his death. The word struck me. What a price to pay for being considered right, a truth teller. I found this description to be similar to how the Gospel of John presents Jesus. From the beginning of the Gospel, we're told that his own people did not believe him, and that throughout the Gospel, Jesus makes his appeal to them, saying, I have been sent by God. I and the Father are one. The works I do testify to who I am. I am the light of the world. I have come that you might have life. I am the resurrection and the life. When we reach this point in John's gospel, he presents Jesus' resurrection from the dead as God's vindication of the truth of all that Jesus said and did. And just as China and the rest of the world has to ask, what have we learned from Dr. Lee's death? So we, as Jesus followers, want to show the world what we have learned from Jesus' death and resurrection. This is not only the seminal event in all of history, it is the cross point, if you will, for each of our lives, the crux of whether we believe or not. The disciples had locked themselves in out of fear as a matter of survival. No doubt they wondered if the Jewish authorities would come after them in the same way they had pursued Jesus. We can identify with this sense of survival. Not only is there a threat to our health and our lives with the presence of this pandemic, but our livelihood and our financial security is being eroded as well. On the one hand, staying home and maintaining phys physical distancing is helping prevent the severity of the spread of this virus. But on the other hand, it contributes to the collapse of our economy. No wonder so many have succumbed to fear and anxiety. Jesus breaks into this fear-based existence and brings peace and a renewed sense of purpose for his followers. He says, just as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Jesus had accomplished his mission, and now he gives his followers a mission and purpose of their own. Rather than focus on their personal survival, Jesus invites them to live according to a new reality, to experience resurrection life and its signal of hope for our world. Jesus had spoken of this mission earlier to them, but now it comes into focus as a mission that proceeds from his own. The person who receives whomever I send receives me, and the person who receives me receives the one who sent me. Again, he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit and that your fruit might last. Jesus then breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you recall on the cross when the Spirit left Jesus, he stopped breathing and died. Now John calls attention to Jesus breathing again and recalls his words to his disciples in the upper room. 
Because I live, you too will live. Jesus' breath signifies he is alive and that he confers life to his disciples, new resurrection life. The Spirit now serves as evidence of this resurrection, that Jesus is indeed alive, and as the empowerment for his disciples to do what Jesus is sending them to do. Through them, the Holy Spirit will both convict the world of sin and forgive sin. They have begun they have been given authority to act as Jesus' agents and consequently as, as agents of God himself. Last weekend, the Press Democrat gave extensive coverage to the story of Captain Brett Crozier, who was relieved of his command of the aircraft carrier Theodore Roosevelt. New York Times writers Helene Cooper and Thomas Gibbons Neff reported on the response of sailors aboard the vessel who cheered Crozier as he departed the ship. Crozier had communicated his concern of the rapid and extensive spread of the virus aboard his ship, and after much delay and inaction by the Navy, he sent letters to some 20 or 30 naval personnel, which eventually got leaked to the press. These reporters stated in their article, his removal from prestigious command of an aircraft carrier with almost 5,000 crew members has taken on an added significance as his punishment is viewed by some in the military as indicative of the government's handling of the entire pandemic. With public officials presenting upbeat pictures of the government's response, while contrary voices are silenced. The day before this article, the Press Democrats editorial drew a comparison of Crozier's action to that of his superiors by stating, is there any doubt about who showed character and integrity here? Crozier deserved a commendation. He'll have to settle for leaving the big stick with a legacy that would make any commander proud. He sacrificed himself to save his crew. Crozier's action depicted in that statement has been seen by some as heroic, giving up his career for the sake of his crew. By comparison, we who have been up close and personal with Jesus through our study of John's gospel would say such an act is more than heroic, it is redemptive. Jesus did far more than sacrifice his standing, his reputation, his career. He sacrificed his life to save us. He came to our world, which is infected by sin, and died to its curse and its consequence of death, and gave us new life by laying down his own. This is the message he gave to his disciples and gives to us to take into the world. One of Jesus' disciples was not present for that first resurrection appearance. The other ten shared their testimony of having seen the Lord with Thomas. But Thomas was not convinced and demanded his own visual and tactual proof by saying, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. We are often quick to see this as skepticism on Thomas's part. 
but might it also have been an indication of how devastated he was by the tragedy of Jesus' death. The reality of Jesus' death was more present for Thomas than the reality of his new life. Yet what was left unfinished from the from Jesus' first encounter with the disciples is made complete a week later. The disciples were again together inside and Thomas was with them. The account is almost identical with the doors still locked. John seems to make it clear that all was just as it had been on the first occasion. We might wonder why the doors were still locked. After Jesus had appeared to them, has commissioned them, and has equipped them with the Holy Spirit, how are they still cowering behind locked doors a week later? Jesus does not reprimand them, but speaks words of comfort and care yet again. Peace to you. We too may be worried about being infected with the coronavirus or feeling anxious about the loss of employment or income or the uncertainty about what changes the future might bring or feeling discouraged and frustrating by, frustrated by having to stay put. We too need to receive Jesus' words, peace to you. Speaking directly to Thomas, Jesus offers to meet his demand to both see and touch his wounds. And with the invite comes this command, stop doubting and believe. Another translation reads, be no longer faithless, but faithful. This invitation of Jesus has been consistent throughout John's gospel, and it now reaches its crescendo here. He said, believe in God, believe also in me. To not believe in John's gospel is equivalent to sin and death. To believe means life. Thomas doesn't take advantage of Jesus' offer to apply any of his tests. Instead, at the sight of Jesus, his doubts vanish and he responds emphatically, my Lord and my God. Jesus has not made himself God nor equal to God as his opponents have charged. Yet he is God. And now at last his disciples know it. Knowing the truth about Jesus makes all the difference in our relationship with him and our faithfulness to his mission. You, have made, you may have seen evidence of that in this week's church email under the church news section. There it told the story of two people in our congregation who exemplify the reality of Jesus' presence in their work life. Joe Maloney, who serves his students as a teacher that provides innovative avenues for learning and engagement so that those students might, might be personally involved in their education where they might not otherwise. And Jennifer Ammons, whose role as a nurse practitioner and as part of a four-person mobile team unit, provides health care to the most vulnerable populations in our county, including the homeless and at-risk at persons. I loved how Jennifer described her passion to serve and help heal as being rooted deeply in her family's DNA, first through her grandmother and then her mom the late Dr. Deborah Johnson-Eyde of our congregation. 
Joe and Jennifer are two people among a host of others in our congregation who know and live the difference Jesus' resurrection life means for our world. What, be, what began behind closed doors continues to spread throughout our world as a message of life, hope, peace, and love. May it continue to be so.